I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Get used to the mantra, all gas, no break. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaw11 on Twitter. Joined by a very special guest today, Jim Trotter, NFL Network, one of the one of the legendary names, um, you know, in the football world, and uh, you know, pro football Hall of Fame voter, been ESPN, Sports Illustrated, NFL Network, you name it. He's probably covered it. And um, you know, Jim, how you doing today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. Um, I think it's uh, it's exciting time of year. Offseason in the NFL is a lot of every every fan base is optimistic about what could be, you know, what could be next. But um, kind of wanted to just get into a little bit of you know the hot you know hot topics in Jets world right now. Um, we'll start quarterback wise. Um, Zach Wilson's pro day uh, as we're recording now, so it'd be interesting. He measured out a little bit taller than I think a lot of people thought, which is good news for him. But where do you see the Jets going with two, and if they do, you know? whether they should keep Sam, move on, and, you know, you know, kind of how they handle that situation. You know, most of the people, many of the people I talk to think that the Jets are going to go uh, Wilson number two. And, um, you know, they've reached out to teams to gauge interest in Sam Darnold. Um, you could say that's what the intention of moving him, or you could say it's just part of them doing their due diligence. I tend to think it's part of them wanting to move him and sort of build this thing through the draft. Uh, even when you look at the free agency deals they've done, they're short-term deals. So my feeling is that Joe Douglas and Robert Sala want to build a team in their image. They want to build it through the draft. And, um, and it makes sense. The question is, you know, do they really believe that, that Wilson is a better quarterback prospect than Sam Darnold? And at the end of the day, that's the decision that's going to define um, the team, the organization, and what's going to happen in, in the coming years. I was kind of curious. Um, it feels like Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence were one, two forever. It feels like even back to the Elite 11 stuff with Trent Dilfer was Wilson Fields. I mean, it was Fields and Lawrence all all season the last you know three years. And then it feels like Zach Wilson's had this meteoric rise and it always happens to one prospect. I feel like one or two quarterbacks that'll shoot up boards and then guys that probably should have gone like I was a huge Justin Herbert guy and it felt like he was falling for um you know had a little bit of an underwhelming year but um why do you feel like Fields has kind of fallen from people's like I might have him as my QB too I'm conf- I, it's kind of hard for me to judge why Wilson's moved so far up to where there's almost like people talking about him going one too I think Wilson has those spectacular plays that pop out at you at times he had tremendous protection at BYU too so he had a lot of time to throw the ball, but I also believe this is and this is reflective of the process. You know, whenever we get to the draft period, um, scouts and people start to nitpick, and they talk themselves into things. And the greatest draft advice I ever got was from Ozzie Newsom, who said, "Turn on the tape and trust the tape." And I feel like there aren't enough people who do that. 
And that's not to say that Zach Wilson won't be a tremendous NFL quarterback. I have no way of knowing. I don't consider myself a scout or personnel person. I've not seen enough of his games to, to really pass judgment. But um, I think all you have to do is look at history of how teams get so desperate for a position that they talk themselves into, um, into making particular moves, particularly as it relates to the quarterback position. You know, we're hearing stuff that four quarterbacks may go in the, in the first round, five may go in the first round, four may go in the top 10, all those sorts of things. And I keep thinking back to that draft with Christian Ponder and Jake Locker and Blaine Gabbard. And his teams are just so desperate that they, they go out and overdraft on a quarterback. And part of that, I believe, is maybe not even that they necessarily believe that that player is going to, to be what they hope. But it's as much to win the, win the press conference, to get the fans off the organization's back, and then to hold out hope that this player is going to buy them time to get everything right. And I think that's going to happen this year. Yeah, it's interesting. We are, I was talking with a few, um, a few friends earlier and how if Douglas drafts a quarterback, he probably buys himself two to three more years. The grace period of where we have the quarterback, whereas if he runs it back with Sam, he's probably got 18 months max to get this, th- to get it right. And or else it's on him. Um, it's just, yeah, it is interesting. You watch some of these guys, even at Trey Lance. So I feel like if he has a full season this year, he's probably talked about it too. Um, but because of just some of the competition and lack of starts, quarterback the whole quarterback thing is super interesting though it's you know with Wilson I said to a lot of people today on Twitter and everyone's getting on me it's like there the people are there to watch these guys and meet them in person because of COVID obviously it wasn't the same scouts meeting guys in practice and games and then it's also just to see how tall is Zach Wilson hand size medicals those are the things the teams want to see I don't I don't think that Joe Douglas or any of these guys who comes from the Aussie Newsom camp and you know, oh, he threw really well in shorts on routes on air. I don't think that's – if you draft based on that, I, I don't think you'll be in your job very long. So, that's just my – There, are some, who, on there it. are some who do, unfortunately. Yeah, well, <laughs> usually those guys are uh, – those guys get moved out pretty quickly. But in terms of some of the other, you know, moves the Jets have made in free agency, Carl Lawson and Corey Davis probably stand out the most. But they've also made a lot of depth signings, which I actually like short term the cap will shoot up do you like what they've done so far I mean I know interior line and corner are still huge question marks yeah no I, I think they've been smart in terms of how they've addressed it you know um what was it two years ago or so you know they made a big money spend in free agency and it blew up in their face and and they're not unique to that it was funny I was doing a study the other day and and in the previous 10 free agency periods for instance Miami spent more guaranteed money on free agents than any team in three of those years and never made the playoffs in either of the, in any of those three years. And in fact, um, of the 10 teams, of the teams that spent the most guaranteed money in each of those 10 years, only half of them made the playoffs in that given year and none of them went to a Super Bowl. So to me, it's pretty obvious that you don't buy your way to a championship, even though teams traditionally go out and act as if they can. Um, you know, I give Tampa Bay sort of a pass because they went out and they got arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah, it's you know, a unique so, situation. Yeah, so, you know, I can understand them spending the way they did last year. But um, so I like what the Jets have done in terms of being smart and trying to be strategic and also doing short-term deals again so that they're not compromising compromising themselves long-term. And I think that's a smart way to go. As I say, 
to me, the teams that won free agency are the good teams that took care of their own players and, and preferred the known to the unknown. And I think those are the clubs that I look to do well this coming season. Speaking of, you know, uh, spending a lot of money, I know you, you talked about this, but do you, like, how do you feel about what the Patriots have done? Because I know the way a lot of these contracts are structured, it's very smart in the way, like it benefits them with the cap rising and all those types of things. But is it still, I feel like it's still about the quarterback. Like if Cam is even 75% of Cam, then it works. If not, I don't know. I don't think oh, well, I think you no, I think you nailed it. And no matter all the moves they made at the end of the day in the NFL, it always comes back to the quarterback position. I'm not sold that Cam is going to be the Cam that that we knew back in his MVP season or close to that. Now look, they've made some moves to play to his strength in terms of, you know, now they can work the field with two tight ends, um, those sorts of things. But Cam is Cam didn't look right after he came back from COVID. And, you know, father time is undefeated and I'm not wishing anything bad on him. I'm just saying that I just don't see it. And that's why I'm not convinced that the the Patriots are out of the quarterback market um, going forward, whether it relates to the draft or even if there's a trade that's made on on draft day. I still believe they're going to bring in another quarterback um, to compete you know, and to develop, because they have to, even if Cam's on a one-year deal, you know, are you thinking just solely this year, or, or are you also trying to build for the future? I tend to think they're going to try and, and, and make another move for another quarterback. Yeah, no, me too. I People get mad at my Cam takes, and it's not that I'm, it's not even hating on Cam, it's just there's the national championship year and that MVP year feel like more so outliers than they do actually, like, his, like, I don't, I think those, it's impossible to play at that level that high anyways, but you know, when you're 11, year 11, year 12, and you're a guy that's getting, you know, Cam's taking some pretty vicious hits over the past decade that have unfortunately a lot of them gone on called, and that's a whole nother discussion. But, you know, it, it does add up. And then COVID on top of that, the new system, you know, Josh McDaniel's very complicated in the way he likes to run his offense. So it'll be interesting to see. I think the AFC's quarterback situation is like Buffalo is the really only stable place right now. I'm not super high on Tua. Not to say Tua can't be good, but it's hard when all these guys like aren't saying the most positive stuff about your own teammates that sometimes I don't always love that I think that your teammates if they don't have your back it's tough as a quarterback but well the the, for me the thing that stands out about tour the thing that concerns me most is they have changed offensive coordinators every year under Brian Flores and at some point particularly with a young quarterback you've got to have some stability in my opinion to be successful We've seen the history of what happens with quarterbacks drafted highly who go through, you know, a different offensive coordinator every year. Going back to, I think of, of Alex Smith, I think he had a different offensive coordinator in each of his like first seven seasons or something. It was just insane. So, you know, we saw Baker Mayfield go through that some where every year Cleveland was changing offensive coordinators. And now they, they, they appear to have found the right person and he has a foundation now to build on so for me I know that the Dolphins and talking to the offensive coordinator candidates that they did one of their primary um, objectives was to ask how do we get to a you know to reach his potential so have they corrected that problem I don't know Um, I think Tua can be a good player I don't think that he was allowed to play completely to his strengths last year. And there were some personality conflicts in terms of Chan Gailey thinking he was coming in to coach Ryan Fitzpatrick. 
uh, for a full season and then having the switch made. Um, so there were issues there, but um, you're right. As I say, you know, at the end of the day, when you're talking about divisions or teams, you have to look to the quarterback position and clearly Buffalo is the team that is most stable and has that franchise guy that we, we can now say we know he is that franchise guy. Because the thing that stands out to me about Josh Allen is people may want to look at last season, but I look at going back to his rookie year in every major statistic, statistical category, can't spit that out today, he has improved every year, every year. So there's not like there's a roller coaster there. He goes from rookie year to second year where he improves, second year to third year where he improves, and the numbers get significantly better from year two to year three, and in part because they put more talent around them. And I just think he's going to continue to develop. Yeah, no, the, the AFC is, is, as a whole, I think, is going to be really competitive. It's like it's just weird. They spent they spent so much money this year, and like there's a very real possibility they have one playoff team. I mean, there could be three if New England hits and Miami or the Jets. You know, Miami takes a leap of two, or the Jets figure out and get hot with a you know either Sam or rookie quarterback. But no, it's just it's interesting, and you look through some of the some of these guys, and Fitzpatrick is one of those guys that, in my opinion, is not really that great for young quarterbacks. I think we have this as a I don't know, for as a football world, we have this notion that Scott Fitz is great for the young guy, but I'm not really so sure that's the case. I think he still thinks he's a top 10, 15 quarterback in his mind, and that's what he's there to do. And what then just sometimes it's a little rocky with Fitz. You know, it's more exciting for the fans than it is, I think, for coaches. Yeah. Well, I'll say this the quarterback play in the NFL is so bad that he may be a top 15 guy. So and and look this is just being honest he was better than Tua last year and if you're if you're playing to win games he should have been the starter all year last year so um I've never believed in that philosophy of playing you know um having a closing quarterback so to speak where you let the young guy play for a while and now it's win time in the fourth quarter so you go to the veteran who comes in and, and bails you out at times like Fitz did for these guys. I, I just don't believe in that strategy. Either you believe in your young guy or you don't. And you know with a young guy, you're gonna have some ups and downs until he gets his legs under him. So I didn't I didn't completely agree with how Brian Flores handled that, but hey, they won 10 games. So, you know, uh, I guess he could say it worked for him. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like I think about winning 10 games, the Jets have won. 10 games won since 2010. So <laughs> it's been uh, it's been a crazy time, but kind of want to transition to something that the Jets were obviously involved in a head coaching search um, this year. And there was, I think, at least seven or eight openings. And um, it's been a struggle for minority coaches to get head coaching jobs, to get coordinator positions, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. I've noticed um, in a lot of the research I've done, it seems like everybody's always the defensive coordinator guy. And like then the quarterbacks, the former quarterbacks are, the Deuce Daly's of the world, people like that feel like it's they really struggle to get that, um, you know, next job, let alone be enemy and people like that. I know the Jets went minority head coach and Robert Sala, but do you think there's like one specific reason, or do you think that it's there's a lot million different things going on and like it's really hard to pin down one thing? No, I think race is at the core of it, and I think when you talk to these candidates, particularly minority candidates, I will tell you the one thing I get from them is that they believe that owners, and we know there are no black owners in the NFL, majority owners, 
they feel that owners are not comfortable with people who don't look like them in terms of entrusting them with decision-making authority. And whether it's true or not, the numbers at least bear out that, that they're not being hired and that it's not a level playing field. So um, I always say people you know, wanna talk about the league, the league, the league. This isn't a league problem. This is an ownership problem. The league has done everything it can to try and address this issue, going so far as to even try and bribe teams to hire minority coaches, you know, offering them improved draft positions, those sorts of things. That's crazy, you know? And I always say, I know they're trying to do the right thing, but anytime you try and incentivize a process to do the right thing, you've done the wrong thing. And so um, until owners get to that point where they are comfortable hiring people who don't look like them, this is gonna continue. And, and look, if you go back and you study the history of this, the one time where we had movement and progress in terms of minority hiring as head coaches was when the league was threatened with, with a lawsuit. When jo the late Johnny Cochran and Cyrus Mary back in the early 2000s threatened to sue the league for discrimination. Ultimately, what came out of that was the Rooney Rule, which led to incremental improvements in minority hiring of head coaches to where they got to a point, I believe, there that the league reached an all-time high of seven or eight minority um, head coaches. And then everybody, you know, got comfortable. At least that's what, what these minority coaches I talked to say, that the league and the owners got comfortable and figured everything was okay. And as minority coaches were being fired, they were not being rehired or, they, or others were not being hired to the point where we were down to one or two. Um, and so again, how do we correct that? That's really a question for the owners. It, it's everyone else has, has tried to chime in on it, but they're not the ones who created the problem. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's, there's like a lot of different, like there's obviously one core factor, but there's like so many different things going on. And I hear a lot of times, I don't, I don't wanna say arguments, but it's about, oh, the Rooney rule doesn't work. I, I don't, that's not, I don't think that's right. I think it's part of the problem is, is you can have all these things, like, like you mentioned, I wasn't a huge proponent of them going to this draft pick and, all these things because I feel like now you're taking you're saying like oh this coach only got hired because this team wanted and it's like now you're actually doing the reverse by make giving an incentive you're saying this person wouldn't have gotten the job but not like that's not true so right, it's just, but it's scarlet letter on those coaches yeah and you put them in a position where now it's like oh you only got it's like you're almost doing it you're like you mentioned you're trying to do something good but in the reality you're actually flipping it and these owners it feels like even too there's certain guys that get recycled through that it's like, oh, they're comfortable. Like you mentioned the word comfortable. I feel like that's probably the best way to put it. They're comfortable with these couple of different coaches. Oh, they're the mi minority token guy that's going to keep getting it. And then there might be a guy that should have actually gotten that job. That's a different minority candidate, but the ownership didn't feel comfortable or whatever. It's just very, it's very frustrating to have to keep talking about this in 2021, to be honest. Well, it's, inc it's incredibly frustrating, but I feel that I, for one, and Steve, my co-host, um, Steve Watch, the co-host on Huddle and Flow, we have to continue to talk about it because when we talk to these minority coaches, they feel they can't talk about it publicly for fear of being blacklisted. And so we, in essence, have to be their voice to say what they're feeling and what they're thinking. Look, you know, this is a multi-layered problem, as you said. And part of the problem, I believe, is that we focus so much on the head coach that I actually think the more important question is, um, how do we get more diverse hires at the GM and the club president level? The NFL had never had a black club president until this past season. We're talking 101 years and had never had one. 
you know, in terms of general managers, there were only two black general managers prior to this hiring cycle. And so why is that important? Because typically the last person to have the owner's ear when it comes to making these hires is either the club president or the general manager. And owners lean on these people in terms of who do they want to hire. Well, if there are no diverse candidates or very few there to say to an owner, you know, maybe you really ought to consider this person, this, this diverse candidate, um, I think it lessens, lessens the chances of a diverse hire being made. And the other issue I think, which is going to come out and be addressed more is, in some of these interviews that take place, there is not a diverse person on the team side who's even involved in the interview process. So if I'm sitting here interviewing with a team and I'm looking at my computer screen during a, during a virtual interview and there is nobody that looks like me on it, I would have to think that's not good business, you know? And that's not a good process, but you know, that's just me. And until owners feel differently, I just suspect we're gonna continue to run in this problem. It's like funny. I, I was like laughing during one of the things. And it's not even that it's funny. It's like, it's so, it seems so like easy to figure out. And it's like, and I, I, don't, I don't know how the right way, right way to phrase it, but like, you know, the GM and club president thinks a real thing, because like you mentioned, if there's no one at the top, that's going to be sticking up for these different, whether what initiatives or these candidates, then by the time they're in the interview, they're just, in, they're just, they're put in the same pot as everybody else or even less because um, they're just no one pushing that like we should give this candidate a shot. Like they're, they're just as qualified, if not more so than somebody else. Well, let me say two things to you here. Number one is what Tony Dungy said to us or said to me in a story I wrote last summer. Number one, coach, owners don't know how to hire coaches. And, and he wasn't trying to be dismissive of them. He's essentially saying they don't come from the NFL with an NFL background. And so do they truly understand what is necessary to be successful as a head coach. And so they rely on search firms or they rely on, on, on um, consultants, those sorts of things. And Tony went so far as to say there needs to be a, a class to teach owners how to hire um, head coaches. And even one GM said to me, he used this analogy. He said, if you are an owner and your primary business, let's say you're the owner of Google, and you decide you want to go out and hire um, an executive to run your company. And if you come to me and I am a general manager of a football team and you're trying to ask me to pick an executive to run your, your company, to run Google, I'm not going to know anything about that company to be able to go out and hire you know, the most qualified person. So flip that around now. And why should we expect an NFL owner who doesn't have an NFL background to understand fully how to go about hiring, you know, um, the most qualified and capable head coaching candidate? The other thing I would say to you, people always say to me, well, owners should, should, should just be allowed to hire the, mo the most qualified person, to which I say, I agree 100%, 100%. But now let's take the blind resumes of candidates this past season. So if we were to put, say, the resume of Nick Sirianni on the board without his name, next to the resume of Jim Caldwell without his name, or next to the resume of Eric Bieniemy without his name, and you say to the casual fan, read these two resumes and tell me which one is more qualified to be a head coach based on the resumes, I would have to believe they're gonna say over here, 
with Jim Caldwell and Eric B. Enemy, and I could give mm, you a hope so. Well. So that's all I'm saying. So if we're talking about the most qualified, explain to me what that means then. Because when we're matching resumes, these guys over here, without question, have, have the more distinguished resume that seems to reflect that they deserve an opportunity. And that's all we're talking about here. People say to me, how do you know Eric Bieniemy is going to be a good head coach? And I tell them I don't. I, I don't know if he's going to succeed or fail. But what I do know is that based on his history, he has earned the right to have an opportunity to be a head coach and then to succeed or fail on his own merits. And that's all we're talking about here. Yeah, no, I, I think that's literally the best point. It's like, oh, most qualified. A, what does that mean? Because everyone has a different idea. But if you're going to have the blind resume and you're still going the other way, there's makes people, that's when people be like, oh, or like, okay, that's probably you are not fought like you're, you're doing something a little shady or wrong here that that feels wrong. So no, it's just, it's interesting. The search firm thing with coaching, hiring these coaching candidates is very odd to me. Just, I mean, I get why they do it. We can't, you kind of just detailed it right there, but you know, I know the Jets have done that in the past and um, the Texans just went through that and it feels like you spend a lot of money and then you don't, you could end up with a guy that you wanted and David Coley might do a great job and he's been put in a really difficult situation, obviously with, with what's going on quarterback wise in Houston, but organizationally, I guess in Houston, but it's, you know, like Deshaun Watson was like, I really want you to interview Robert Saul. I think he could be a great coach. And then he doesn't get an interview and the enemy gets interviewed request an interview where he literally now can't interview for two weeks. That whole process felt a little, <laughs> a little mismanaged, but um, hopefully it'll start to, you know, with the inclusion of a couple more um, minority general managers this term, I feel like that's a huge step. I feel like places like Detroit that hired both uh, minority offensive and defensive coordinators, and young guys who were able to, you know, hopefully be able to get a shot someday. I think Aaron Glenn's going to be a great head coach. Um, Biasly is a Jets guy. I, I love Aaron Glenn, but um, no, it's, it's no, um, uh, Sean Payton loved him as well. I mean, Sean used to always tell me that he thought um, he had the ability to be a successful head coach. So he, you're not alone in that. And that, that's all I'm saying is that these guys who have been identified by successful coaches in this league and say, those are people you need to consider. Why aren't they being considered? Or, you know, it's funny when we talk about David Cully down in Houston, for whatever reason, the man is 65 years old, and this was the first time he was ever interviewed for a head coaching job, let alone hired. I mean, the first time he was ever interviewed. So you talked, we talked to Brad Holmes on the podcast, the, the GM of the Lions, who tells us he wasn't even on their initial list of, of 12 or 13 candidates to be interviewed for that job. And it was only because one member of the organization recalled an archived interview that he did that he said, hey, we need, to, we need to talk to this guy. And then he ends up getting the job. So the process to me is flawed. And I know that the Buffalo Bills are going to submit a proposal on uh, Monday or Tuesday at the owners meetings asking that all interviews for head coaching candidates be delayed until after the conference finals. Will that work? I don't know. I mean, and maybe I'm too jaded in it because I feel like most teams have an idea of who they want to hire before the process ever begins. But I've had a couple of GMs, current and former, who have called me since then, since we talked about it, and said they do believe that that's a good thing. And that while you may have an idea of who you want to hire, if you slow down that process, 
um, it does help lead to, excuse me, someone else being hired. So my attitude is just as Billy, Bill Bean, uh, Bill Bean, Brandon Bean said to us, me being a Bay Area native, I always think of Billy Bean, the, the former A's general manager. But as Brandon Bean, the Buffalo Bills general manager said to us, look, it's time to try something different because what's been tried over and over and over is not working. And I have to agree with him. Brandon Bean's an incredible GM, the way he's built around Josh Allen, some of these signings, the way he's drafted. But no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it'll, you know, maybe a guy like Todd Bowles who had his ups and downs in New York, but everyone swears by him that knows him as a person. I had Janae Coakley on the podcast. She's like, he's the best person I've ever been around. Like it was him and Tony Dungy. And, um, but, you know, she even talked about like, if he wins here, people are looking at such a different way of, um, you know, the way you look at him and, you know, he had like the performance in the Super Bowl. I'm sure a team probably hires him based off that game alone. Though, I mean, you have Patrick Mahomes, which probably will never happen again in his career to zero touchdowns in the game. You know, maybe that process helps, but um, there's there's definitely a lot of work to be done. But I think the, amount, the more and more people like yourself, I mean, even people like myself, I talk about it. It's you hope that it'll have some type of get people talking and, and, and talking more. But um, I know. You, you were the president of Pro Football Writers, you know, and Hall of Fame voter. A, how cool, quite frankly, is it to be able to vote for the Hall of Fame? And how difficult of a job is it for people that don't really understand how, how much goes into that? It's, um, one is very cool, but the thing you don't realize, or at least I'll speak for myself, I didn't realize, was just a tremendous sense of responsibility once you're you're in that room and you have that vote. Um, because you think you know what it really means to these players and coaches and executives. But for me, it, it really wasn't until I had been doing it a handful of years. And um, I remember Chris Carter finally got in and after that year that he got in, I had to go down to his house to do, I was working at ESPN and we were doing a feature on, on Gio Bernard and Chris had had a relationship with Gio Bernard when Gio Bernard was growing up there in South Florida. And so I go to Chris's house and to interview him for the piece and he takes me into his study. And in his study on the desk is a, a photo album from that week at Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. And Chris starts talking about it and he literally starts um, crying, you know, about just what that moment meant to him and how important it was. And for me, that was when it really drove it home about, I knew it was important to these guys, but I, I guess the depth of just what it means to them, it really hit me there. And look, I take it seriously, like I'm sure every voter does, but I think sometimes what happens too is that um, it almost becomes paralysis by analysis. And you can make numbers say whatever you want. At the end of the day, what I come back to as a voter is when I watch that guy play, did I see impact, particularly in big games against the best teams and the best players? Did I see impact? And did I see impact over a prolonged period of time, meaning consistency? If I see impact and consistency, that drives me towards what my vote is, as opposed to, well, this person threw for X number of yards and he ranks number three all time. And I'm saying the way the game is, is, is built now, quarterbacks are gonna put up tremendous numbers 
regardless of who they are, if you play long enough. And we just had this conversation with Warren Moon the other day. It'll come on the podcast next week. But I said to Warren, you're a Hall of Fame quarterback. So you tell me, how are we supposed to distinguish between these all these quarterbacks who are going to put up incredible numbers? And how much should, say, postseason matter? And he said, it definitely should matter, you know, when you're playing the best of the best, because you have to have something that distinguishes these players from each other, at least as it relates to quarterbacks and the, the fantasy football numbers that they're putting up. So it's a long-winded way of saying to you, it's very cool. It's a tremendous responsibility. You take it seriously and um, you just try and do the best that you can. It's pretty, I, I always think about this because I'm a huge baseball fan and baseball hall of fame is a whole nother animal and there's a lot of different factors and the steroid era versus not you know and all that type of stuff but football is one of those crazy things where it's i think it's the hardest hall of fame to get into in my opinion um oh, it is. I, I just i just think there's you 53 guys in a roster like it's a whole different animal and um even guys like you know payton to me obviously was you know a lock this year but you even look at guys like calvin johnson there's debate and like you know growing up I was born in 1994, so, you know, early, you know, when I was a kid, you know, Randy Moss is obviously in T.O., the T.O.'s of the world, um, but Megatron was like, I'm like, this is the best football, like, probably the best receiver, best, one of the best football players I've ever seen, and people are like, I don't know if he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm like, in my head, I couldn't process that, but then I have to realize there's so many guys, and there's so many really great receivers. There's so many great – I know, like, in terms of positional, you know, a receiver versus a running back, safety, corner, whatever it is, uh, we won't touch on the kickers and punters. That it's not really that relevant, but um, do you feel yourself? Oh, there's three receivers on the bout, you know, Andre Johnson and Steve Smith. And, you know, these guys that are coming on the bout this year, Reggie Wayne and Torrey Holt. I'm not, you don't have to give them away who, you know, who you're voting for and, you know, it's a long time away, but does that make it more challenging or is it just, I'm voting for the best five, no matter I'm what. I'm voting for the best five, period. And that's the way everyone is supposed to do it. You're not supposed to vote by position you're supposed to vote on who do you think are the five most deserving to go in. And if that means it's five wide receivers, you vote five wide receivers. If you think it's five offensive linemen, you vote five offensive linemen, but you are supposed to vote for the five most deserving candidates, period. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pretty interesting not to uh, change subjects, but the Eagles, I guess, just traded their sixth pick to the Dolphins for 12 and their 20, 2022 first round pick as we were recording. Um, teams also swapped picks in round five. So interesting there. The Dolphins now have 
three and six in the upcoming draft. That'll be, I don't know. I mean, obviously Deshaun uh, might not be getting traded now, but there's no better package. The Jets all of a sudden don't have the best package anymore. <laughs> I don't know. That's an, that, that is an interesting trade. Yeah, I'm interested. I mean, obviously, we'll have to both do all the research on whatever happened, but interesting to see, you know, the, what the Eagles are doing. Obviously, bringing Flacco to me means they're going you know, to have him mentor Jalen Hurts. And I thought they were a candidate to, you know, go quarterback and trade up to two, but there's a lot of pretty crazy. Oh, um, I still think they're a candidate. I don't yeah. think you rule that out. If like Fields drops to the, you know, Fields drops them, how do you not take him? Or Lance drops? Like I just, it's hard for me to be like, I thought I had some, some of what Jalen Hurts did last year was interesting to me. Some of, if you really look into some of the deeper numbers, it wasn't great, but it's obviously, you know, six to eight games. But I don't know. It's, it's interesting to see some of these quarterbacks, and and we can finish with the quarterbacks because obviously, there's a lot going on, but. Is it how do you feel like it? Do you feel like it's harder to judge quarterbacks now because of how short of a leash it seems like people have on them? It feels like we even just talked about Tua to it, you know, didn't get 16 games in the NFL, and we're already like people are already like, I don't know if he's good, myself included. Do you think that makes it really just difficult to judge quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, it is the most difficult position to judge, particularly when you're making the transition from college to the NFL. Um, I, I fear that part of the issue here now is that when you have one young quarterback play early and play well, then the expectation is that all young quarterbacks should be able to step in and play early and play well. And there are a lot of factors that go into why, in my opinion, a young quarterback plays well, including what's around him, the coaching that he gets, the system that he's in, does it fit his skill set, all those sorts of things. We are so quick in the media and as fans and whatnot to label someone a bust and put it all on the player. And it's not always all on the player. And even some of that with Tua last year, I feel, was not all on him. So it seems, <coughs> excuse me, that we're being less and less patient with these players. I mean, think about now, um, it, the quarterback position is so fascinating to me when you talk about you know, one year you had Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota drafted one, two, and neither of them are with the team they started with. You know, we go back to that draft we talked about um, with Gabbard and, 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 and um, Ponder and all of those guys and Locker, and many of them aren't even in the league anymore. They were bounced out quickly. And again, I go back to this, that's teams being so desperate at that position teams wanting to buy them or you know executives wanting to buy themselves time by going with a young quarterback um but once you get one you know um it means the world Ozzy Newsom always used to joke about it you know when I would say something to him about you know winning a Super Bowl or whatever or you know when Flacco uh helped them to that one Super Bowl over San Francisco and he says yeah it only took me x number of years to find one you know to find a quarterback and, um, and we're talking about, in my opinion, one of the greatest general managers ever, one of the greatest talent um, identifiers ever. So it's tough, man. But um, that's why I, I truly believe that when it comes to drafting, stay true to your board. All of that work that you put in in terms of evaluating these players, ranking these players, et cetera, um, if you see impact, you go get impact even if you have a player at that position, I just believe that. And other GM, young GMs I'm talking to are, are kind of saying the same thing. We'll see if they do that. 
But, you know, because it, it just blows my mind. Aaron Donald's the best player in the NFL, period, regardless of position. And the guy went 13. So what does that say about scouting? You're short. Yes, yeah, it's, it's silly. Again, turn on the tape and tell me what he does. So the not only that, the Dolphins now just traded three to the Niners for 12 overall, their comp pick for Robert Sala, and two first-round picks in 22 and 23. So that they obviously – that means the Niners, the Niners are, are going to go quarterback. Yeah, they're going to go quarterback, which even fuels more. I think Garoppolo ends up in New England. That's just yeah. my guess. Um, no, I, I agree. I, I told you they're going to get another quarterback. <laughs> so, Dolphins did a lot of moving in the last <laughs> ten minutes. This move from eighteen to or the, whatever eighteen to six to then move from three to twelve. I don't, that seems like they're going to obviously stick with Tua then um, and try to build around him and probably get themselves a receiver. And, but what, and, it, what it says to me is that the, 49, the 49ers are at three now, correct? Yeah, 49ers are at three. It says to me that they like Justin Fields or one of the other two. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say other two because I don't believe Mac Jones would be a guy that they would go out there how to get. They'll but be pretty wild to go mobile, do a mobile. <laughs> yeah, I, I think to me it means watch Justin Fields because I think Wilson's going to go number two to the Jets. And that says to me that, they're, that one, the 49ers believe that Wilson's going to go to the Jets or they believe that they're comfortable with either Wilson or um, uh, Fields. It'd be interesting to see what happens. I think, in my opinion, I... I like Fields a little more only because I feel like this scheme fit, um, the Shanahan offense, I think everyone just assumes Wilson because he throws well on the move. But a lot of the um, Shanahan offense, which I think a lot of people just maybe don't um, aren't familiar with, is a lot of one read cutting off half the field and getting your eyes to, you know, one guy right away. And I think that's something Fields does probably best of anybody in the draft. So, um, you know, a lot, a lot going on. And, you know, obviously we really appreciate you ha- taking the time to, uh, you know, come on the pod podcast and um, you can catch Jim and Steve, um, you know, on Huddle and Flow, Huddle and Flow podcast. They've got great guests. They've obviously great content, like, you, uh, you know, <laughs> like you mentioned. And um, I think it's something that's super exciting and make sure to, you know, follow Jim on, on Twitter and some of, you know, his writing pieces. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate having me on. No, I appreciate you having me. Uh, a lot going on right now, so <laughs> I know breaking news on a breaking news on a on a Friday. <laughs> I know it's time time for me to go back to work. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on. All right, Will.